listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Maybe you found yourself between a rock and a hard place. Darned if you do, darned if you don't. And this is one such instance where Jesus finds himself between a rock and a hard place. No matter what he does, no matter what he says, he cannot win. At least this is what those who oppose him think. These guys had a problem with Jesus' authority. And the reason why they had a problem with Jesus' authority is the same reason why you and I struggle from time to time with Jesus' authority. See, the only time we struggle with Jesus' authority in our lives or in our families or in our career choices or in the church or in the nation, the only time we struggle with the authority of Jesus Christ is when we have not settled the issue of Jesus' identity or when we lose sight of Jesus' identity. There's a direct correlation between our understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus is entitled or welcome to do in our lives. See, identity has everything to do with authority. As your understanding of the identity of Jesus goes, so goes your embracing, my embracing of Jesus' authority. You will not submit happily to the authority of Jesus Christ until and unless you really understand the identity of Jesus Christ. And two of these members of the unholy trinity, the chief priests and the scribes, think they have Jesus outsmarted. They think they've got Jesus exactly where they want him, between a rock and a hard place. And the reason why they've put Jesus in this position, or at least in their own mind's eye, they think they've put Jesus in this position, is because they have not come down on the right side of the fence in regard to who Jesus is. And if you don't come down on the right side of the fence in regard to who Jesus is, if you have a clouded understanding about Jesus' identity, you will have a very difficult time in your personal life submitting to Jesus' authority. You'll have a very difficult time in your family welcoming the authority of Jesus Christ. A church will have difficulty for no other reason in the area of the authority of Jesus Christ if it has lost sight in the identity of Jesus Christ. Now we might say, well, that's not supposed to happen in a church. That a church loses sight of the identity of Jesus Christ. It's a walking contradiction, not a living sacrifice to do that. But why would it be any different in our families if we're Christ-following families? Why would it be any different in our individual lives? See, it really doesn't matter whether it's our individual lives or our families or the church or even in a nation. The only reason why we struggle with the authority of Jesus Christ is because we've lost sight in the identity of Jesus Christ. You can tell whether or not you've settled the issue of Jesus' identity by how you're wrestling over the issue of Jesus' authority. 
Now, in order to shed light on this issue, identity and authority, we're going to look at Luke 2020. How's that for clarity of vision? Luke 2020, in our Father's Word, and we'll get some insight into how there's a direct correlation between the identity of Jesus and the authority of Jesus that's realized and experienced in our lives, in our families, in the church, wherever we go. Let's look at our Father's Word in Luke 2020. Here we go. So they watched him and sent spies. We know that something is off right here. The chief priests and the scribes, they're the ones who are watching Jesus and they resort to an underhanded methodology. Verse 20, we see this. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. This is one thing we never see Jesus doing. Jesus not once is afraid of the people. But those who are opposing Jesus, who are resisting his authority, who are resisting his identity, always are struggling with the people. See, that's something that needs to be settled in your life. Something needs to be revisited again and again in my life in our families and in our churches. Whenever we're afraid of people, it's a good sign that we've lost sight of whom we should really fear. And the only one we should really fear is, you guessed it, with a respectable fear. It's not fear the way the world has fear. It's not a Halloween type of a fear, not a scary movie type of a fear. The biblical understanding of a fear of the Lord, a fear of God, is a reverence, a respect, an appreciation of who he is. See, when we respect God, we will submit to that God to whom we respect. And in the course of your life and mine, we need to settle the issue about who is going to make us quake and shake. Who are you afraid of? Is it people and their opinions? Or are you respectful of God? See, Jesus models for us how we should live our lives because he respected his father, understood the source of his authority, understood his identity. And it's no coincidence that we see Jesus walking out his authority in proportion to firmly grasping his identity. And so here in this passage of scripture, we see the scribes and the chief priests conspiring. It's a foretaste of what's on the horizon. It's this conflict that we see from the beginning of each of the Gospels to the end, and which is really the beginning, the resurrection of Jesus. We see a battle between those who will not recognize the identity of Jesus Christ. You see, once somebody comes down on the wrong side of the fence about the identity of Jesus Christ... No wonder there's a problem with authority. See, the problems that you and I face in our marriages, they're really issues of authority, but they're really deeper issues than that. We've lost sight of who Jesus is. If you embrace the identity of Jesus Christ, you'll understand your role in your marriage because you'll understand God's role in your marriage. And the other peripheral issues that we have in our marriages, wayward eyes, wayward hearts, 
divided allegiances. See, it's not just an issue of being faithful to your wife or faithful to your husband. It's really an issue of being faithful to God. If you're struggling with an issue of being faithful to your wife or faithful to your husband, that's not the real issue. That's a symptom of a deeper issue. The identity of Jesus Christ and being faithful to him. If you are faithful to God, you will be faithful to your spouse. And when you find yourself having a wayward eye, wayward heart, emotional waywardness, sexual waywardness, you know, that's really just a symptom of the real issue. You have spiritual amnesia. When we lose sight of the identity of Jesus Christ, of course we will stray. When we lose sight of the identity of Jesus Christ, we will struggle with submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a direct correlation between our submitting happily to the authority of Jesus Christ and our embracing our acknowledgement in the identity of Jesus Christ. And these guys, these scribes, these Chief priests are having a problem with the authority of Jesus Christ. Don't think that this problem went away. It didn't go away. Even among many of them, after the crucifixion, didn't go away after the resurrection. Many of their lives. These guys had a problem with the authority of Jesus Christ because they had a problem with the identity of Jesus Christ. And it's these chief priests and the scribes who are giving him a hard time thinking they've put Jesus between a rock and a hard place by the question that they present him with. Look with me. Verse 20, they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. This is an irony of ironies. They think that they have the person and the people who have the authority. And here they are dealing with the way, the truth, and the life. No lie came from Jesus. No lie ever will come from Jesus. You can trust Jesus with what he tells you to do and how he tells you to do it, even if you don't understand how it's going to come out, because the light at the end of the tunnel is not a train. It's Jesus himself. What it means to walk by faith is to trust God when you don't know the end Result, the end byproduct of where that road is going to take you. All you need to know, all I need to know is that Jesus is showing you the way. In your financial life, Jesus needs to be showing you the way. You don't know how ends are going to be made, met, how you're going to make ends meet. You don't know how that's going to happen. It does not matter if you follow God. And submit to him and follow him and believe in his identity. He'll work things out. Nobody has ever trusted God and lived to regret it. There are multiple areas in your life, multiple areas in my life, the course of each and every day we walk by faith. It's not something we set and forget in the morning. 
we visit that issue of the identity of Jesus Christ the first time we give our lives to him in saving faith, understanding that Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of every single one of our sins, and he died so that we could begin to live a different kind of life than we otherwise would live. Salvation opens the door to a God-glorifying life. God saves you. He saves me. He saves each and every one of us so that our marriages would reflect the intention of God. He puts us together in this community of people called the church. So that through us, the church, God could spread the beautiful, fragrant aroma of Jesus Christ. So that we could be salt and light in a distasteful, dark world. God rescues us, saves us, and leaves us here so that we can be a factor of influence that this world desperately Needs. The irony of ironies is that these men who are conspiring against Jesus, who never lied, these men who think they have the authority and they're going to present Jesus before the authority, don't understand that the one who gave those people the authority in the first place is the one who has authority over them. They're resorting to underhanded deceitfulness and they're living short-sighted lives thinking that they're in the driver's seat when Jesus is in the driver's seat. See, this is what everyone will do. You will do this if you lose sight of the identity of Jesus. You'll think that you're in the driver's seat. You'll think that the money God gave you is your money. You'll think that the relationships God has given you are just your relationships. You'll think that the resources that God has put at your disposal are just your resources to do with whatever you want. Well, they are, to a certain degree, to do with whatever you want. But if you understand the identity of Jesus Christ, then you will exercise the authority that he has given you to make God-honoring choices that reflect. Are you listening to this? God-honoring choices that reflect his authority in every single area of life. A right understanding in the identity of Jesus Christ has everything to do with the fulfillment and the realization, the practical working out of Jesus' authority. And so in verse 21, these connivers, these deceivers, these underhanded thorns in the side, these people who think they're in the driver's seat, who really aren't, in verse 21, they ask Jesus, teacher, listen to the, the cunning and the deceit of what they're saying. They asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but teach truth, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute or to pay taxes to Caesar or not? (laughs) Here's the rock and the hard place. But he, Jesus, perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius, a coin that represented a full day's wages for the average laborer, the average worker in that day. Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. 
and they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, admiring his answer, wondering at his answer, being astonished at his answer, being surprised at his answer. That's what the word means. They became silent. See, and that's what happens when Jesus speaks. Up to this point, they thought they had Jesus between one of two choices. That's the rock and the hard place. Jesus only has one of two ways to respond. See, what we tend to fail to understand is what these chief priests and these scribes didn't understand. There's not just one of two answers that Jesus could give. Jesus has a third possibility that nobody was thinking about. And this is the situation in your life and mine if you're submitted to the authority of Jesus. If you've settled and you continually resettle the right side of the fence to be on in regard to the identity of Jesus, it opens up a plethora, an expanse of choices that you and I on our best day can't even possibly imagine. See, the scribes and the... The chief priests, they think, oh, there's only one of two ways he could go. If he comes down on the side of Caesar, then this crowd who's following Jesus is going to revolt against him and he's going to lose his popularity. So we've got him. And if he comes down on the side of the crowd and speaks out against the government, then the government is going to come down hard on Jesus. So <laughs> we got him now, boys. We got him. We got him. We got him. There he is, rocking a hard place. So you come up with an answer to this one, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus doesn't even flinch. He's not sweating drops of blood here as if he's acknowledging the position that he's been put in. In fact, we know from other portions of Scripture, Jesus knew that he'd be in this predicament. And what does Jesus do? He takes them from their limited understanding about God. This is what God is doing in your life and mine. Blowing the doors off us all. This is what God is doing in your life. It's what God was doing in their lives. Getting their limited God-in-a-box approach to life and saying, I beg the whole idea of there being a box in the first place. See, it doesn't matter how big your box is for God. It doesn't matter how big my box is for God. Create the biggest box possible. God's not going in it. He's not going to limit himself to your God-sized box, my God-sized box, because God cannot be put into a box, although people in positions of influence often try to do that. We often try to do that. We put God into a box that he just says, I'm not even going to go there. In fact, you're asking the wrong question. Jesus asks for the denarius, which he knew had the image of Caesar on it, knew that that was the representative of the leader of the people. He knew that the Jews were under Roman rule. He knew that the Jews did not like being under Roman rule. See, we'll get to this in a little bit. But the difference between what the Jewish people were experiencing and what you and I are experiencing today in the United States is fundamentally different. They did not have voting rights. They did not have 
the privilege to be able to vote. And so they were subjugated. They were under the rule of Caesar and all of his cohorts, and they could do nothing about it. They had to pay taxes to the Roman government. You know how offensive that was? To the Jewish people called by God to be under the rule of a Gentile leader, unclean, not called by God. And so what does Jesus do? Give me one of the coins that you use, that I use, that we use, and whose representation is on this coin? It's Caesar. And he says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Now, here's where it gets a little bit touchy. So you're not supposed to talk about religion and politics, but in church, you've got to do it. Because religion and politics often overlap and spill into each other's territory. And here is a perfect example of it. Some people have used this passage of scripture to support the idea that we see we should be able to happily give money to the government and let the government tax us. In this particular day, more than a third of the people's income was given to the taxes that Caesar endorsed and took from the people. Poll taxes, incidental taxes, Customs, taxes on customs, selling, trading, all types of taxes, more than a third of the people's income. And some of us would say, boy, I'd love to have just a third of my income taxed. And some have used this passage of scripture to make the case that, see, Jesus was endorsing taxation by the government. And to do that is to be a member of the Nighttime Bible Reading Society. To read the Bible at night, lights off, sunglasses on, and one eye closed. To take out of context this particular teaching in light of the consistency of all the other teachings of Jesus. Because what Jesus is doing here is being true to form. Jesus is being consistent here with the way he taught about everything else. Because everything else that Jesus taught about had its place, had its position in comparison and contrast to God. Look with me at Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, here's a passage of scripture that helps us understand the context of Jesus' comment about taxes and God. In Luke 14, verse 25, now great crowds accompanied him. See, there's the idea again, scripture being consistent that Jesus was popular. People were following him because of the signs and wonders that he performed. People were following him because of the teachings that he performed. Great crowds, large size accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, this is what humble courage looks like. Jesus sees the opportunity to influence this crowd. And he says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then in verse 33, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus is clearly not saying you need to hate your spouse. You need to hate your mother and your father. You need to hate yourself. Now, how do we know this? For example, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
And so Jesus is not being supportive of self-hatred. What is he trying to say here? You see, because we would have Jesus contradicting a clear teaching in the Old Testament. If you're created in the image of God and I'm created in the image of God and it is good and nothing needs to be added to that, nothing needs to be subtracted from that, we're created in the likeness of God, God didn't create us and then say, wow, that caught me off guard, what a surprise. Male and female, God created them in his image. So that's why self-hatred would be wrong and it would be an affront to Almighty God because you are created in the image of God, I am created in the image of God. What Jesus is saying in Luke 14 is that in comparison to our love for God, there is nothing else that compares. Even the love that you should rightly have for your spouse must not be more significant, more all-consuming than your love for Almighty God. And that's why when we get to Ephesians chapter 6, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. The best way to do that is to settle the issue of the identity of Jesus Christ. Because then you'll embrace the authority of Jesus Christ in your God-given marriage. What Jesus is saying in Luke 14 is that by comparison, there is no comparison. See, the idea, whoever does not take up his cross every day and follow me cannot be my disciple. You can be a dabbler all day long. But you want to be a disciple, you've got to take up your cross every single day. What is that? When somebody heard Jesus say those words in that culture, they knew. When Jesus has that crowd before him, this great crowd, hundreds if not thousands of people following him, and he deliberately turns to them and seizes the moment and wants to speak into them. This is a teachable, unforgettable moment that he seizes upon. And Jesus says to them, Let me talk to you for a moment about this thing that we're familiar with in this culture under the rule of the Romans. Let me talk to you about the cross. The cross. See, when I was in high school, when I was 17 years old, and there were born-again Christians who would have a prayer time before school began, and God was tugging at my heart and drawing me to himself, I knew that if I gave my life to Christ... My life would change. And my argument with God was, I don't want to be like those people. But there was something deep inside of me. God was stirring me just like he's stirring you now, just like he stirred you in the past. There's something about following Jesus that changes everything. The people in Jesus' day, when he brought up the cross, they knew that when you went to the cross, you're not coming back. Nobody ever went to the cross and came back, not even Jesus. He died on the cross. It was after the cross when the Father raised him from the dead, giving his statement that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is all that is required for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. That's why it's ludicrous, it's ridiculous, it's foolish to think that there's anything that we can do to add to what Jesus did on the cross. Either Jesus paid for it all or Jesus paid for nothing. 
When Jesus says, unless you take up your cross and follow me, everybody knew that there's no turning back. You were dying to yourself. And what Jesus is saying in Luke 14 is a similar thing to what he's saying here in Luke chapter 20. We see Jesus being consistent compared to almighty God. There is no comparison. There is nothing that is higher, nothing that is greater, nothing that is more important, nothing that is more substantial, nothing around which your life and mine should revolve, nothing around which your family and mine should revolve, nothing and nobody around which the church should revolve. Nothing and nobody around which the leaders of a government and a nation should revolve other than the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus' answer is stellar in that he shows us very clearly you can never put God between a rock and a hard place. How can you put the rock between a rock and a hard place? So of course you're facing issues in your life where it seems like there are one of two solutions. Don't you dare forget that God's got a third solution. And it's wrapped up in the person and the works of Jesus Christ. It's wrapped up in the identity of Jesus Christ. See, a Christian who is struggling with the authority of Jesus Christ has lost sight of the identity of Jesus Christ. When we revisit the identity of Jesus Christ, we understand his lordship. We understand that he's the master. We understand that he's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha, the first letter in the Greek alphabet, and the omega, the last letter in the Greek alphabet. When we understand that, Jesus, lead on. Jesus, whatever you want in my life, I am fine with it because I'm fine with you. Jesus, whatever it is that you want in my family, I'm fine with that. You can't have children. God knows that. God has another plan. You don't have the money that you thought you would have at this particular time in your life. Trust Jesus to have the authority over every area of your life because of who Jesus is. And the money will take care of itself. You don't have a money issue. Unless you have an authority issue. And you only have, and I only have an authority issue because we have an identity issue. Because if you trust Jesus, then you'll trust Jesus with Jesus' money. And if you trust Jesus, then you'll trust Jesus with the relationships in your life. And the people that he's put into your life. See, life comes down to money. It comes down to the relationships we have with people. And every area of our lives is affected by what we believe about the authority of Jesus Christ. And when we have problems with the authority of Jesus Christ, when we say, I just can't, Jesus, it's because we don't understand who Jesus is. Problems with authority are a reflection of a problem with identity. The wheels of life are thoroughly greased when we come down on the right side of the fence 
in regard to the identity of Jesus Christ. And these scribes, these chief priests were still on the wrong side of the fence in regard to the identity of Jesus Christ. No wonder they struggled with his authority. See, a disciple settles the issue of Jesus' identity. And that takes care of Jesus' authority. In Romans chapter 13, if we were to look at Romans chapter 13, we would see a chunk of scripture, the first seven verses, where Paul talks about, we're not going to go there in detail today, but Paul talks about submitting to the authorities. But there's a huge difference that we need to understand here in the United States of America and any country where you have voting privileges. Follow me on this. Any country where we have voting privileges. Paul says, submit to those in authority. God has put those people in authority over you. The big difference between living in the United States of America and living as a citizen of Rome, whether you were a Jew or a Christian living under Roman rule, there is a fundamental difference. It's not apples for apples. You have the ability to do what a Roman citizen did not have the ability to do. You can vote. You have a say in what type of taxation takes place. You have a say in whether or not the government leaders are honoring biblical principles or dishonoring biblical principles. In Rome, in that day when Paul wrote those words, in Jerusalem when Jesus was saying these words about following Caesar, the people did not have a say in what Caesar said. They didn't have a say in the taxation. And so they were subject to the rulers. Do you understand that we have no right to complain when we have a right to vote? If you don't like the government and how the government is operating, and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're not voting, you are squandering the ability to exercise freedom for which other people die. So that you could be salt and light through the political process. You've got an opportunity to be involved in the process. To have a say in whether or not people honor biblical principles or dishonor biblical principles. There are plenty of people, haven't you realized this? Who want to be elected into office. For the primary motivation that they don't want to see the God of your Bible and mine honored and followed and proclaimed. They have an authority issue because they have an identity crisis. And it's a shame that we live in a country where we have the right And we have the freedom given to us by many others who have given up their life to vote and to be salt and light in the political process, to be agents of change for the glory of God, and we don't exercise that right. There are people in other countries who would cut off a limb, literally. I'm not talking about a tree either. To be able to vote and to be able to influence, which is what a Christian does, influences society. So that the authority of Jesus Christ could be overtly manifest even through 
the political process. See, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, none of us signed a piece of paper that said, I'm now no longer going to participate in the political process. The media wants you to think that. Even within the church, we have each other brainwashed. Listen, why can't you vote? And vote your conscience and vote so that the authority of Jesus Christ is more greatly manifest than it would otherwise be if non-Christians who are not sold on the identity of Jesus Christ have the upper hand. And so this is not a statement by Jesus saying that no matter what the government is, you should submit and surrender. This is Jesus saying, compared to the government, you should be sold out for God and his glory and the authority that I have, scribes and Pharisees and elders of Israel, that there should be no comparison. The question that you're asking is so fundamental that it is absolutely ridiculous. I will not allow myself to be put between a rock and a hard place when I can exalt the rock himself. And that's what needs to happen in your life and mine. This is not a message about political processes. It's a message about the authority of Jesus Christ that overflows and results from a right understanding in the identity of Jesus Christ. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to be so sold out on the identity of Jesus Christ that we understand with absolute clarity that there is no area of our lives, no area of our lives that's devoid from the rule and the reign, the leadership, the lordship, the authority of Jesus Christ. And maybe if you and I were a little bit more sold out on the identity of Jesus Christ, we might see thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, maybe a little bit more overtly then we're seeing it up to this point. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for people of salt and light to do nothing. When what's needed in this day, what's needed in this hour, what's needed in your family and mine, in your life and mine, in this church and every church, what's needed in this nation and every single nation on the earth is for God's people to be so sold out about the identity of Jesus Christ that we say, bring it on, Lord Jesus. I'm available. My family is available. My church is available. I give you my money. I give you my resources. I give you my life. My very life as I take up my cross, spread your authority right here and right now because I'm sold out on your identity. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.